0: I don't think we have met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Rugby Rugby Weekly.
2: Little reverse pass, Tommy! Oh! Oh! Drive Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking when the room is spinning and the words are
1: sticking. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in Cork, and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42. E. How are you, Murray?
0: Yeah, all well, good, Gav. How are you?
1: Excellent, thank you. Excellent, and we're joined as always as well by the great Bernard Jackman Birch. How are things in your end?
2: I'm good. First time being called Grace, but yeah, good to, good, to <laughs> good, good to chat, good
3: to chat rugby. Again.
1: Yeah, it is a difficult weekend. Obviously, we're gonna look ahead to brighter times. Hopefully, starting with. Uh, Murray, who's just back from a press conference involving Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton looking ahead to the Autumn Nations Cup, we're going to dig into that France game as well. I don't think there's too much danger of the lads here going over uh, old ground, albeit I'm sure you'll have heard and read just consumed plenty of content during the week about that game. And we'll wrap then later on with uh, a quick enough Pro 14 synopsis slash preview. We're going to get all of your questions in as well, or at least as many of them as I can get around to. But to start with yourself, Murray, just off that presser, what was the feel and flow? What was the mood like in Ireland camp? And particularly given much of this week has been dominated really by um, a, a forensic Body language analysis of Johnny Sexton and his reaction to being subbed off in Paris.
0: Yeah, that was top of the agenda. Anyway, Andy Farrell was first up on the virtual press conference. They can't go side by side, which would have been maybe an interesting dynamic. Um, and obviously, the first few questions were around this: his reaction to to being replaced. Farrell basically said, "Listen, Johnny Sexton's a passionate guy, and and that's the reason we all love him. Um, that's why he's at the top of the Irish game." He said, "There are bits of learnings from every game you play." um but he said you you don't want to change a person overnight um because you know he's he mentioned Johnny Sexton's intent and attitude um and he basically he didn't say much aside from that he kind of went over the the ground again and he and he said finished by saying it was 100% a storm in a teacup in his eyes uh, the last thing i want to do is to stop johnny being himself so so Sexton came in afterwards and he was obviously asked about it again and and he said he was disappointed in his reaction he um he said to an extent, he was disappointed in his reaction. He, he felt he didn't realise that it was going to be as big a deal, um, and that when he realised how big a deal it was, he he spoke to Andy Farrell, spoke to him on Sunday, and he apologised to him and said, "Look, that shouldn't have happened. I've obviously let myself down in that regard," and then they've they've moved on. That's what what his sense of it is.
3: Yeah, th- disappointed in myself with the reaction to a certain extent. Um, obviously, if I'd known the. The stories that it was going to create and the the way that it's been perceived, I obviously wouldn't have done it. But you got to take it from my point of view. It's in the heat of the moment. I'm I'm in the biggest, you know, up there at the biggest games I've played in as captain. And um, yeah, it's it's obviously a, a low point, and I, I reacted in a bad way for a split second. Um, and that, that's that's it really. Um, that's all I can say really. I've. I've I spoke to Andy after the game. Um, I spoke to him on Sunday when I realised it was such a, a such a big thing, um, and we sorted things out. and I apologised and said, "Look, it shouldn't have happened. It did. It was a split second, and um, obviously let myself down in, in that regard." But you learn and you and you move on. Really, um, I suppose it's not the first apology I've made in my career, and it won't be the last, probably. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on. Thankfully. We've got a good relationship and um, we there's no problems going forward.
0: A couple more questions about you know, the, the words of Brian O'Driscoll, etc., analysing it, as you say. Um, and he says, I, I apologise to people that matter. I'm not going to sit here and apologise to the whole world. It's a split-second decision that I wish I didn't make. So there you go. Um, and that was it, really. That was the kind of sense of how they summed it up. There's been an apology. They're certainly ready to move on. And they definitely feel like the impression they gave is they definitely feel it's been blown up at, at all proportion.
1: Yeah, I suppose he has put it to bed with his comments today. I thought he nearly poured petrol on the fire a little bit when he was yourself actually who asked him about it after the game where he wasn't. it. But uh, there probably was a chance to put it to bed then and there and it wouldn't have been this issue that was blown up beyond all proportion during the week. Um I suppose there isn't a great deal left to say about it, but I would like to just get your thoughts on it, Bernard. As we haven't spoken to you yet this week, like you know Johnny very well.
2: Yeah, I know him very well, and um, I think uh, the people who know him well won't be surprised. I mean, he lives and breathes every um, every minute of, uh, of of his rugby career with with Leinster or or, or Ireland, and. Um, and that's probably why he's such a good leader. Uh, and, I, and I'm saying leader, whether he's captain or not, he he does drive things. He's he's emotional. He cares, um, and he lets you know on a Tuesday. Uh, but if 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 your standards aren't good enough, and uh, and he holds himself to account. So I just think there's a. It's just the reaction from him. In hindsight, yeah, it didn't look good. Um, but I think if, if you want Johnny Sexton to be like, you know. Um, you know, Brian Driscoll or uh, Alan wynne Jones or whoever, like any of those captains, he's not going to be authentic to himself. And and, and there's a there's a limit to there's a there's a um, a level you don't want him to change. You need him to be himself and to continue to be passionate. Now, obviously, you know it doesn't look good, and, and he's apologized for it. But um, I I understand where it came from. Like I've seen him highly emotional as a 19 year old, 20 year old, you know, and uh, all the way through. And maybe everyone else doesn't get to see that you know, on a match day because luckily he's been the winning teams most of the time, but um it's just a reaction to frustration. Obviously, definitely would have felt going there there was a chance of a championship and he probably knows that at this stage of his career, you know, he, he can't be letting those opportunities slip. So, backed up with what happened with Leinster against Saracens, there's another season gone now without Silver, and that will have hurt them massively. But, uh yeah, I think it's great to get it parked and, and move on.
0: He did say he apologized before, and he has apologized before in his career and it probably won't be the last time he's apologized. Um, but I think to come out of this, and, and it definitely moving beyond this issue itself uh, or the incident itself, it kind of highlights a couple other things, like in Paris there, was, there were key a few key players missing in terms of the leadership. Tyke Furlong's part of the leadership group, he wasn't there. Henderson wasn't there. Ringrose even, who's always really badly missed. He's just a bit of a calm kind of influence. And obviously Peter O'Man, was on the bench, so Sexton probably was um in a bit of a silo I suppose in that sense and then also like you look at the issue of you know personally I thought it was the wrong decision to replace him actually um, and Ross Byrne obviously didn't have a good game when he came on and, and you think the gap is still really big between Sexton and whoever is next best they've obviously changed Carty for Burns now in this latest squad um, and that is an issue as well that the, the fact that Sexton was Probably so disgruntled because obviously he felt he could still add to the game and and I probably agree with him in that sense. I think his reaction was really poor and and he's right to apologise and and learn from that. But I would have left him on the pitch because he's, for me, so clearly the best out half.
2: It's early on Monday morning, 6am to be exact, and you're waiting for Murray and Owen to drop into your podcast feed. But they're not there yet. What do you do? Re-listen to last week's Rugby Weekly? hope murray is awake and uploading clips to twitter come on man why not take a listen to the newest addition to the 42's membership podcast suite gaa weekly presented by mark o'shea and shane Downing. between now and the end of the 2020 championship gaa weekly will be there waiting for you every monday morning at dawn's early light get locked in GA GEA Weekly, every Monday morning, exclusive to the 42 members.
1: The Ireland squad has been named, Murray, and uh, I, I didn't find any of it uh, especially surprising, really. I did see a little bit of discord from people suggesting they were unhappy at the uh, perceived lack of new names, I guess, or at least new caps. Um, there are only three, I believe. What, what was your assessment of it? Give us the, the rundown.
0: Yeah Like it's very Very similar to what we saw For those last two games Um, James Lowe is obviously Going to be eligible now And that's a massive boost Like It's been coming a long time So it's probably easy Just to overlook it now He's an excellent player He adds something different To the back three He obviously is a, a Great finisher He can offload He can Be really powerful In contact He's an infectious kind of energy about him as well and, and add something different to the group even off the pitch in that sense. So that's a, a good addition for Ireland. Shane Daly is still there, still uncapped and we'll hope to to get that first um, first appearance. And then Billy Burns, as I mentioned, comes in for Jack Hardy. So one little change in the out-half pecking order. That's tough on Jack Hardy. I mean, he hasn't been involved. He, he's just been there training for the last couple of weeks and, and suddenly he drops out. Burns was really good when he came back for Ulster, and... Um, In in the last round of the Pro 14, and probably almost benefits from not having been in the squad. Like he gets a chance to to impress on the pitch, and he was good away to Cardiff Blues, uh, and he comes back in, having been there earlier in the year, um, and then out through injury. So Jack Conan dropping out with an injury issue, um, and you know Farrell's decided not to make an extra, bring in an extra back row in that sense, uh, as well as still a few guys out injured. So yeah, it it does look very settled, and I can understand why people are thinking it's it's a little bit boring in terms of all the, the younger players who are emerging now in the provinces, like it is still extremely early in a lot of their careers and they're they're playing Pro 14 games and doing really well, but that's like also an important part of your development is, is racking up those minutes in games in the Pro 14 over the next couple of weekends. Like you're not going to realistically throw Casey into start against Wales or probably away to England and Twickenham. Like that's a massive ask. Same with Harry Byrne. Um, Listen, it's clear they're big talents and Andy Farrell believes that he's had them in the Ireland camp before um, and, I, and has identified them as long-term prospects in that sense. But they're probably better off, to be honest, getting more minutes. Like You're seeing the ve- development of Casey four starts in a row. It's been brilliant. Harry Burns had two starts in a row at 10 and, and played the 80 minutes in both. That kind of thing is really valuable for players. And listen, I have a sense there may be a couple of changes to, or tweaks to the squad maybe around that Georgia game because that's obviously the big one for, I suppose making a bit of um, an experimental selection and, and getting a bit more depth in the squad. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a there's a sense maybe of a missed opportunity in, in that regard and, and getting a bit of a, a new feel into it because those players probably have more potential or a higher ceiling, certainly, than some of the guys who have been selected. But... Um, Yeah, it makes sense with two uh, tough fixtures coming up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, what did you make of it, Bernard? I I got the impression, looking at some people's reactions, they were a little bit disappointed that, say, Harry Byrne wasn't involved, particularly Craig Casey, there was a bit of a clamour, not only in Munster, from what I saw, but just from kind of fans around the country, generally speaking. But when you actually look at the squad then... And the options available in their positions. Like, Marmion has been playing really well, hasn't featured for Ireland um, since the international return. Like, do you drop Gibson Park to fit Casey into the squad? I don't think you can on form, really. And even at out half... um, We've just seen Jack Carty not make the squad and Billy Burns come in in instead of him. So um, there is just a huge amount of competition in those positions and in loads of positions whereby to bring some, somebody in just because they're young and uncapped and, and playing well in the Pro 14 means you're doing so at the expense of somebody who actually still has designs on getting a jersey on them themselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty hard. Harder likes to Jack, Jack Carty. Obviously, he would have felt being in for the, the, the Six Nations squads. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to get some, uh, get some game time. Uh, look, I, I like Casey. I liked him since under twenties, and I think you know the bits, pieces he was getting off the bench for Munster. He impressed, and he, he's really grown into it. And I, I know it's it's Pro 14 level, and you'd like to see him in Champions Cup. I just think um, he is probably better off getting you know um, more games rather than being in there in a role that Jack Hartley played where. You know, you're just running opposition and, and not getting um, the opportunity to be part of a, of a match week for, for your province or, or getting game time. So I think his day will come, for sure. I think the big challenge for Farrell um, is to find out quickly who our next nine and ten are. Um, and that's unfortunately still up in, uh, still in debate, I think. Um, uh, and that's probably an issue for us in terms of succession. Um, and, it's, and it's not that we, we want to have, you know, say goodbye to, to Connor or, or John or, or Johnny and f- far from that. But wouldn't it be great to have, you know, two guys on the bench who we who you know are going to come on um, and steer games home or, 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 or change the game up. And I think at the moment it's, it's not clear who they are either individually or as a partnership. So I, I think that's going to be a priority for them. Um, and look at Casey can still, I mean, you know, he won't get a chance in this November. You, don't, you wouldn't think, Um but if he gets a run of games and, and uh can get ahead of Connor for some big games, well then for the Six Nations, um you'd like to think that he had a he had a cracking chance.
1: What do you make of that uh halfback uh future or, or like the succession plan, Murray? I think we've touched upon it before, but obviously it evolves with time and with different players getting different amounts of game time and coming on in different ways. I, I feel like we have said on the podcast plenty of times that Andy Farrell has probably earmarked Harry Byrne as the guy for Ireland going forward. And I, I feel like it's probably not unfair. It's probably understandable. But like Joey Carberry isn't really part of that conversation at the moment purely because he hasn't been playing for so long. And yet, uh, you know, if he was able to come back to full fitness, which is a, a distinct possibility, he he's probably the guy, is he not? And And even looking at the Scrum Half picture just in terms of age profiles if you were to talk about sort of the next five, seven, eight years Casey probably is the guy compared to some of the people that are in the squad at the moment Yeah like Farrell has absolutely
0: earmarked him by by naming him as those development players or additional players in, in his squad like it's quite clear that on on the depth chart his depth chart wherever he has it on his computer he has those guys as the, the long term prospects in that position and, and it's not a surprise everyone can see their talent like it's really clear um, that they're quite gifted players and, and have a, a big ceiling of potential, as I said. Um, like, there's other guys, even Quaylen Blade is probably unlucky not to be in the scrum half mix. He's been good any he's played for, for Connacht as well, but the the out half one is the one, I totally agree with you, is the one that is probably worrying, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, and Carberry, if he was there, absolutely would be, he'd be, in his mind, pressuring Johnny Sexton for his place. That's why, one of the reasons Carberry... Um, I suppose ended up down at Munster he wants to be an out half he wants to be a starting out half and he wants to push Johnny Sexton and definitely Johnny Sexton has acknowledged that in the past probably down in Tobin Park most famously where he picked him out in that in that um, exchange of handbags and, and kind of went for him and, and there was a bit of bite between them and that is absolutely what you want to see between Irish players competing for the same position um, and I, I think it would be really interesting to Car- have Carberry in that mix I actually think he'd, he'd be a really good option at full back to be honest personally for Ireland as we've discussed before but he was the next clear one in that pecking order and he's not there unfortunately and won't be on into next year as he's out indefinitely with that with that ankle issue. I suppose with Harry Burnham um and being that long term prospect there, yeah, like you could have him in the squad, but he's still making mistakes at pro fourteen level. Like I think he's a really big talent. He's got a massively confident attitude. But if you watch his game closely in those fourteen games, there, there are regular errors still in his game at that level um, he's doing brilliant things as well but he's still kicking the ball out in the full the odd bad pass a couple of bad decisions here or there like if you really dig into the games certainly someone like Ross Byrne or Billy Burns is p- probably playing better and, and you know more error free and and making more um, a consistent impact on the games now on the flip side of it you can say get Harry Byrne in there let him make mistakes um, and let him get experience in, in, in test rugby he's actually the same age as isn't he as Roman Entomac, like, you know, he's not exactly a kid. Um but it's it's very quickly that, that turns and the same people who are calling for him to start for Ireland out half now, um, you know, say he drops a clanger and, and gets that opportunity in test rugby, people will turn on him and it's it's a damaging experience. So there's a balance there definitely. And right now, you know, I can kinda of understand why the balance is to to let them keep playing games at pro fourteen level. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the pair of them in the in the Six Nations squad as Bernard says in twenty twenty one. Um, and then you begin that process of of kind of changing and shifting the squad a bit with guys you feel have that longer term potential.
2: I have a question for for Murray and uh, you know we've obviously chatted about a few people around the squad but I read your article on on Jacob um at the uh, this week Jacob Sockdale's performance and he went through it in great detail. I'd love to hear your opinion on uh, on where he starts for Ireland against Wales or or does he start
0: yeah, the piece was interesting. It's it's funny, actually, the reaction you get to it. I tried to just, I suppose, lay out the, the facts as clearly as they were in, in my mind. And obviously, it's your interpretation of things. Um, but then some people perceive it as an attack on them. Other people said, oh, fair play, you've actually pointed out some of the good stuff. Um, to be honest, when I went back through it, I, I saw all the, all the, I suppose, attributes of a really good left wing. And, and, you know, the kicking game is excellent there. He's obviously unbelievably effective with ball in hand. um, And I suppose I still feel that that's his best position it has been for a long time he's been at some stage world class in that position as well um, it's kind of a similar thing isn't it like in the long term if you want him to be a fullback you've got to take the the pain and, and the errors that are going to come with that and learning how to be positionally strong at, at fullback and, and not be um, I suppose susceptible to those errors um,
1: but right now I, I think he looks like the left wing that he has been for most of his career He's a lightning rod Bernard isn't he? Like in terms of the criticism he draws, I understand why in the wake of that Paris defeat, because the errors are are so glaring, and the one that was particularly costly, arguably cost you the game in a sort of a roundabout way. But um, it's it's interesting that wh- even when he makes those sort of mistakes, like he's put up for media, he has no problem. I I, I hate to use the term, but fronting up. Um, like he he clearly has a a mental resilience. I wonder though, like, is he so mentally resilient and so uh, unflappable, if you like, in the wake of mistakes that he doesn't really learn from them?
2: Yeah, look, I think I like the fact that he he seems to be able to brush it off, and it's a great trait to have. Um, uh, but I, I also I think there's a stage where um, I need to fix some of those errors. I, I feel sorry for him. I think I think to be honest. Anybody would struggle playing fullback for Ireland at the moment. The way we defend, um, and he, you know his inexperience or his lack of understanding of, or, or his lack of uh, anticipation of where the danger is going to come from, um, hasn't really improved and doesn't look to be coached well enough into him. I think that's the problem at the moment. We're not sure if he's being taught, you know, more better around what he needs to do, or he's just. Two lakhs of days ago, or um, or he, he, yeah, he just switches off because he's always late. You know, he's never early. Um, and I think I'd nearly prefer to see him being overeating things and being there too early and getting caught on the on the other side. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, for a while, it just seems to be no real panic. There's no real panic or urgency in him. Um, to go on. And do his job in terms of um, you know being being tied to his opposite winger or whoever else in the backfield with him. So he's always five yards behind where he needs to be. And again, I don't understand if that's uh, not privy to what, how much time they're spending on it and whether they're doing you know walkthroughs or or whether he just has this ability to to switch off and uh, and uh, be easy on himself the first couple of yards and then can't catch up. And it's not you know it's not just his fullback play. Um, you know, there's examples uh, from last year when he's on the wing, but he's in the backfield and, and he's late as well. So it's going to be fascinating, I think, for sure. He he has the raw materials to be a, an excellent fullback for us, and it seems there's a big onus on having a left footer at fullback, um, and I can understand the the value of that. Uh, and also, to be honest, like with Will Allison injured, um, you know, there's not and and Joey injured, there's not a huge amount of. Um, alternatives i 'll be fascinated to see what he does for fullback next week and because I think another poor game um there you know it 's another it 's another blow to his confidence but likewise if you don 't pick him again and let him go out, when do you bring him back in and is he going to get better and is he like could he become our starting World cup or starting fullback for for the next couple of six nations campaigns with time and development um it 's just a fascinating case study and i think that 's why everybody so focused on him because it, in some ways uh, hopefully they see that if it does prove if he does develop he could be a real weapon first um, and when he doesn't play wing we're well, maybe you're lacking a little bit of firepower out in the left wing as well so it's a, it's an interesting one I think that's for me that's the selection I want to see next week you know or what fire does with him
0: yeah like he did he did so many good things as well in the game like as you say the left boot was exceptional at times some of his kicking was really really good um, but in terms of the distance he got on the exits, he hung up a couple of nice carries. He chased kicks actually well a couple of times, and there was a lovely little dribble down the left hand side. That is a a world class left foot, um, and is a massive weapon. As you say, you know he's really he scored seventeen tries in thirty tests, so we know he can beat defenders. And he had six defenders beaten in this game. Um, like I know the late try was very much consolation, but showed that he he kept going. The handling errors just obviously stand out so much, and and the first one gave up gave up the penalty try that's got to be better. But there's loads of good stuff there. James Lowe is now in the squad and, and is clearly some of that Farrell likes. He's had him in there to settle in, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks. And he's obviously a left wing by trade. Um, So it'll be really in- interesting to see how he rejigs things. Andrew Conway's probably had a couple of weeks where it's been really quiet for him and, and maybe hasn't gotten himself involved in the game as much as he would have liked. Um, so that's obviously got a step up there as well. And, and I suppose Lowe being in the mix and Keith Earl's obviously back as well from injury. Now there's a nice little bit of competition as well, and, and that obviously produces good performances or allows you to maybe change guys that you feel aren't aren't hitting the the standard. And um, so that is definitely going to be a fascinating part of it. Hugo Keenan has done well, um, early on, and with Leinster obviously before that, and shown that he's capable of. of playing well and 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 impressing at this level he's a really hard working player and, and good in the backfield as well so there's some nice options there now with, with Daly as we mentioned before still uncapped
1: Just before we move on from Stockdale so a lot of what you're saying um, is in relation to his play at full back and like, as you mentioned Murray the handling errors in particular are glaring and Bernard you were saying that we don't necessarily know how much he's been taught really to adapt to that position or at least flourish within it but like say the error that led to the penalty try, and even the the almost error uh, a few moments before that, where he gets away with what was probably a knock on. It's kind of inconsequential now. Like uh, th- those moments are not exclusive to him playing fullback at all, though. Like we've seen him do this on the wing, even if his best position is left wing. These are mistakes that he makes in massive games. We saw it in Twickenham last year, uh, or sorry, in Dublin last year against England. So, like, as in, is it a more fundamental problem rather than just a positional problem? Obviously, there are kind of subtle, more subtle or, or less glaring mistakes he'll be making maybe positionally as well at 15. But the kind of high-profile ones that actually lead to scores or have led to scores, uh, that doesn't seem to be exclusive to uh, position Murray, really.
0: Yeah, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, there, there are errors that can happen wide as well and and he's made different types of errors I suppose in those positions as well Um, they, like in both positions they stand out so much that's the thing and, and Stockton I think said that yesterday uh, Rob Carney says it in his book a, a few times you know when you F up back there it's like a goalie making a mistake it's you know everyone can see it someone who doesn't maybe watch other areas of the games as, as closely can see it they don't they don't think about James Ryan's maybe calling the line out or, or someone missing their mauling role. And and that's an error as well. It's just obviously not as glaring and doesn't give away a try. Um, they, like, they're not obviously not acceptable errors at that level. And, and he he knows that and he's acknowledged that as well and and work hard to, to get them out of the game. So, yeah, you're right. It, it's maybe not around the position. And there are so many upsides to what he can offer from that position. But as Bernard's kind of alluded to there, like, Jordan Larmour is the incumbent. He's injured. He would have been at fullback otherwise. Then Will Addison, if he was there, would have been there. I think Joey Carbery, if he was available, also would have been ahead of Stockdale as a choice at 15. So, you, you know, you're you're down quite a few and he's, to be fair to him, he's put his hand up and done it for Ulster as well as, as now with Ireland. Um, but I suppose you, like we've kind of mentioned this before, good wings are good wings and they don't have to be good full-backs as well. Like I, I even think maybe Larmour might be better on the wing. Same with Stockdale um, and have players who are a bit more, I suppose natural is the wrong word, are are a bit more comfortable in that fifteen shirt and having the ability like Addison and Carberry would to be that second set of hands and second set of eyes that takes a bit of pressure off Johnny Sexton. Obviously, there are so many teams around the world doing that now. Some 10-12, many 10-15 with the likes of Mackenzie, Barrett, etc. in New Zealand. Um, it's a really nice model and I'd love to see how that would look for Ireland we've probably only had it with Jarrod Payne playing a couple of games there um, and that was you know just through injury that didn't really work out but it looked really good actually and I thought it took a bit of pressure off Sexton in those glimpses so at some stage when injuries permit I'd also like to see that happen but then you can't just keep jumping around between everyone you got to make a decision at some stage and stick with them yeah, <laughs> Can
2: I just can I finish on this I know we've talked about a long time uh, look at that we have you have to stop blaming the, the individuals and look at the system. I mean, you know, Robbie had a very difficult day against England at fullback, and it was you know uh, it was all Robbie. Uh, I don't looking at uh, at Stockdale, looking at uh, Earls, looking at Larmer over the last while. They've all been in difficulty, and even going back to the to the World Cup, um, you know, we we got skinned by Japan a few times. Uh, New Zealand didn't need to expose the fullback. Because with with kicks because that's what what everyone remembers but um because they were just running through us for for fun um so I think all our back three players have had really difficult moments and I, I think you know, the, the moments that they don't show up as much in 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 high pressure games for their provinces so I would look at more around our actual overall system um like what what back three in the world do you see or back two in the world do you see getting pulled apart um as often as regularly as as Ireland do. And and I don't believe that Stockdale or Earls comment to hasn't had really been exposed, but he has as many caps um have are are not as good as what's playing for Wales or England or Scotland on on, uh, on the wing. So I think at the moment we're just shooting the shooting the individual, but we we need to look at um, our overall defense. Uh, and, you know, it's it's uh, like I saw a clip of the week, two clips of the weekend, uh, and I showed them on Monday against the head. But, you know, the one where Porter ends up one on one with Fiku. Um, like it's it, it's it's so random. Like, again, where you watch a lot of test rugby, show me an example where, you know, your, your tie head prop ends up one on one with the winger, you a winger. You've scrum off on the chip line, and then you're back to don't react and don't see that danger and come up and and, so the the result of it is he goes round Porter and he goes round uh, Murray and then he has 15 meters bef- to draw and give to to Conway and um, and then you know the one where where Johnny puts up the bomb down the middle you know we had 14 players on one side of the field so like there's just things that are happening that okay at the end yeah sure Conway should have been or sorry Stockdale should have been across quicker for the for the chip um, and, and and yeah it's a, it's a mistake and he's in the wrong place but. No one seems to be talking about what's happened in in front of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's an area that needs further discussion because, uh, like, it, it's it's very difficult for them at the moment as well, given how poorly we defend in the front line.
0: Yeah, that's a really fascinating point. It's it's definitely worth digging into a bit because, like, it, it is a, tr- a trend as well. I suppose that opposition teams have very much exploited Ireland with their attacking kicking game. Like, this is the way the game has gone. Obviously, and Ireland are definitely behind the curve on it. The the example you saw is really interesting like because for the past couple of years Conor Murray hasn't been on that sweeping line he's been in the defensive line so you've had 13 front up um, and you're right like Johnny Sexton shoots up there and he doesn't stop the ball and Aki and Byrne kind of condense around it as well and Porter's the one who's left sweeping from a position closer to the rook uh, as he starts but but getting out there and then Conway's the interesting one because he like he really sits off I don't know what's in his head like what instruction is in his head that I need to sit off here because your obvious instinct is close that space early um, and put them pass under pressure.
2: Absolutely. And as soon as he goes up, Stockdale goes... So, fairness there, right? So, like realistically, as long as Conway stays back, Stockdale's actually entitled to stay where he is, if you know what I mean, because they're supposed to be on a, on a string. So, what, would, what should have happened is Conway should have went forward and then Stockdale takes that space. So, in some ways, I feel a little bit sorry for Jacob on, on that one. Now, you could have said he, could, he should have made a, a read and gone anyway, um, but realistically, that space was covered because Andrew stayed planted. And, and look, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a micro example um, in the in the game. But again, I don't see the opposition. And it's all, like the word coming out of Ireland is, "Oh, you know, we know France score so easily." Yeah, for sure. But like that can't be just the reason to accept that you're going to concede thirty points. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're, like you got to make them work a bit harder for it. Um, and that's surely the 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 basis of any defence, and I know they've wonderful talents, etc. But realistically, for us, um, you know, they didn't rip England apart uh, to the same extent. Uh, and uh, and like the reality is as well, I like, think they, they were really indisciplined in, in the game. And and you know, so we had a lot of possession, so they didn't have many chances to attack. So if they get their discipline right and have a little bit more possession, and we don't sort their offence out, we get further away from them than closer.
0: Yeah. The funny thing is, like. <laughs> It's 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 very hard not to compare what was there before, what was good before. Like the detail around Ireland's game, it looks like it's less than what was there before. Obviously, discounting twenty nineteen, everything went badly there. But I mean, even around that defensive stuff, it, it doesn't really seem clear what was supposed to happen there. Or as you say, the one with the where Entomax scores off Dupont's offload. Like how they get into a situation where they're so um, condensed on one side of the pitch, and Caelan Darris is trying to get with but no one else is on the chase how that happens I think around the set piece attack there was similar where people maybe just weren't 100% certain of what their role was even you think of the one where Doris knocks on the 22 if that pass actually goes to Henshaw it's really on for a line break there um, and there were a couple other instances like that so like while it's brilliant that Ireland are, are probably trying to be their phrase is heads up isn't it more heads up and more decision making you definitely still have to have the Agreed, detail around your game as well, because otherwise it gives those little opportunities for a team like France to exploit.
1: There's no point in playing heads-up rugby if there if you don't have detail. Like this is, we, we've heard heads-up rugby mentioned so often in the lead-up to that France game. But like, if you're kind of playing under 14s rugby in terms of what you're trying to do, and there there's no real complexity to it when you have the ball, that's whiskey dick rugby. Like you're going nowhere with that. You know, it, it seems so evident throughout that game. Um, sorry, I'm I'm ranting here now because I like, a... <laughs> yeah,
2: like France. France actually might get away with it, given that they have you know two player, or three or four players who will probably make a world fifteen uh, at at the moment. But they, that's not what they're doing. Like I, I know Giliers has put together a really good kick strategy. I know Sean Edwards has them, you know, drilled defensively, and they're not anywhere near where he needs he wants them to get. But Galtier is quite detailed under strike plays. So even a team with a lot of X factor are putting um, some real detail or trying to get better um, around you know how they want to play and how they manipulate defenses etc and 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 you know it's not a disrespectful to our team whatever we three or four X factor players at the moment in our in our back line who're going to create a, a teddy toma moment or a vacatara moment unfortunately um so without without that detail uh, we're not going to get mismatches and not going to get uh opportunities to to score a little bit easier and i think just basing your game on on how many times you're going to the 22 and expecting that that's a good enough reason to win uh it, it's not for me it's not relevant you know like for example france took their points when they were on offer so they turned down two or three opportunities to kick into the 22 which would have given them more 22 opportunities more um uh yeah, 20, uh, obviously twenty-two entries. If you get me, so like mm-hmm. it, it seems to be a bit of <coughs> take for granted that oh we were in inter inner twenty-two a lot. We must have had a really good attack, um, and we should have won the game two times over or whatever. But realistically, the beauty of 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 good attacks is you score quickly, and you don't have to play uh, spend a lot of time in their twenty-two or um, or a lot of time in possession.
1: Murray, come in there on that, will you? Because like <laughs> it it was probably evident even on I think with Healy's try, like. it like it felt like a good juncture for Ireland in the game psychologically, like just to respond the way they did. But even that kind of took a while, you know, where you kind of felt as though they could have been in and out of there a little bit quicker. Um, And then there were like several ventures into the the 22 or into French territory, generally speaking, which just proved fruitless and and didn't feel, even from first phase, like from the first phase, didn't feel like they were really going anywhere.
0: Yeah, we discussed on Monday in the the members podcast around that yellow card and certainly my feeling was that they had those two five metre scrums and I think the All Blacks would have just scored straight away off a five metre scrum against 14 players I know Dupont drops off but I think they would have had a they probably would have had a plan for it to be honest they would have had a plan to score against 14 men from five metres out Ireland seemed a little bit confused about how they were going to do it, it was, I know they scored off the second one um, but it was just kind of not just but they did a good job of of forcing their way over really good latch uh, and healy scores Um, I agree with Bernard, though, that the 22 stats are hilarious because now it's become a a sign that we should have won the match. Um, Like, a 22 visit doesn't necessarily mean a a try. Um, And and Ireland, I suppose, their viewpoint of this game is we should have won because we were down there. But, you know, you didn't convert a couple of those opportunities because your line-out malfunctioned a couple of times or or you weren't able to engineer, as you say, Gav, a, a bit of ingenuity to get across against you know in the area where the defense is at its strongest and has the most players in the front line defending so that is absolutely um i suppose it's it's kind of a, a distracting picture really just to say oh we had so many 22 visits we should have scored um listen at the same time i suppose and this is how ireland will view it they'll think you know we were very much in that game a couple of our errors contributed to french scores we were missing like we've already mentioned a lot of the key guys um, and that they've got three wins out of five. In Farrell's mind, he'll be thinking, okay, that wasn't actually the worst first campaign. Um, and like I don't like, it's tempting just to pick out every single bad thing in the performance, and there were loads of them. But um, that's the case with every Roby match as well. So listen, there's definitely things they can really improve on, and I think that has to happen over the course of this Autumn Nations campaign. Yeah, there hasn't been an upheaval in terms of the squad, but it's still relatively. I suppose, low pressure. There's no prize money, no rankings um, pressure in terms of the World Cup draws. The seeding for that's already been made. So we have to see probably more from the detail around the defence, as Bernard has mentioned, and then in terms of that attack, um, marrying the kind of heads-up philosophy they seem to want with uh, having a bit of a plan around how to go about it and, and giving yourself a couple of options to then make the decision.
1: See, I think it's tempting...
0: Ooh,
2: last, word, last word on this, sorry. It won't be. I thought we pitched up pretty well in the area that we we all thought we might struggle, which is the power game. We actually manned up there and, and uh, we didn't really come off uh, second best uh, over the course of the game too much in the physical stakes. So that's a positive first. I thought some of our forwards were incredibly physical and, and um, we take heart from that. The next layer now is obviously um, a little bit more uh, detail and... and um, creativity in terms of plan.
1: I know you said last word, um, but 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 it's not. Uh, like, uh, you know, like Murray, you mentioned there that it is tempting to pick out all of the things that go wrong and, and the reality is that at test level, at any level in a the game, there are loads of things going wrong. I, I do think that temptation is just as a result of people being nearly overwhelmed by how much is going wrong and not necessarily knowing where to start in terms of Ireland kind of turning a corner a little bit here. But, at the same time, I am glad to hear uh, of some of the positives because the, the, if you were to just say without like technically analyzing the game the way you guys would, if I'm watching it with a far more untrained eye the first time around at least. Well, also the second time around, but at least like, I'll kind of get stuck into the technical stuff a little bit more second time. But like first time, I'm kind of going off like vibes nearly, you know. I don't know, is it like body language or just the kind of like the energy of a game, just a sort of a hunch, an impression that you have. And like first half even though France have that, that big kind of psychological boost at the end of holding us out when Sexton goes to the corner. I, I kind of felt like Ireland were, were the better team. I, they were going in at half time probably frustrated not to have scored a try at the end when they could have had three points. But at the same time, I felt like they kind of were in command of the game. They should have been up anyway, regardless of that decision. There's only a mistake by one of their players that, that lets uh, France take the lead. And I found it so strange then that there was such a, a drop-off in the second half and it wasn't a drop-off in, in effort or anything like that. It was just compound errors, the kind of thing that we've seen really plague Ireland over the last two years, where one or two people make mistakes and then it, it becomes a you know an endemic in the team. Like, it's um, bad decisions, lost line-outs, all of these kind of things. And remarkably, even though they were making these sorts of mistakes for so much of the second half, like, they are in the game until, what, 15 minutes to go? Like, the the second line-out that they lose in, in French territory kind of killed it. But, um, I don't know, it just felt like... I know you've made the point, and everyone has made the point, the game was probably there for the taking, despite the, the score. But, I just don't know, what, hap- what happened in the second half, do you think, Bernard? Like, uh, from a coaching point of view, from a former player's point of view, where you play so well in the first half, and, and you really tank it in the second?
2: Yeah, look, it was really interesting. I thought that, you know, the the feedback... or. Uh, around what was said at halftime was was around belief and uh, like as you said, I wouldn't have thought belief should have been an issue. You've gone to Paris, okay? There's no crowd there, but you've actually you've had a lot of play and um, you've had a lot of opportunities and you've turned down points of, of your own uh, volition um, to go in seventeen sixteen. You know Irish teams often say, "Oh look at." You know, we went for the juggler there and that'll pay, that'll pay at the end. You know, the effort they had to put in to defend would actually be a bonus for us. So we're quite good at, at trying to take a positive out of a perceived negative. And then the message is that there was no belief and the body language was poor. And that was the focus. And, and you know, pretty much I think it was the 42nd or third minute then we we concede that. Um, that that try I spoke around and... um uh, and then, uh, uh, yeah, and then it just goes—it goes, goes pear shape. Really, that, that third quarter was, was really poor for us. So uh, I, I don't know. Like, look, I think if if belief was the issue, well then the team have been, I suppose, scarred by England, uh, England last year, England the year before, or the World Cup, two thousand nineteen. And there's a there's a psychological issue there. And I, remember the World Cup re- review um or the yeah the, the the insight into the work of review we were told that it was it was a psychological um uh there's lack of psychological resource or or development i don't know if that's being addressed yet but um you know it, it, I, it's interesting that that was the problem at, at half time um uh, was the belief and i think in terms of improving belief um there's three areas you either you get outside help whatever and some people would be skeptical of that but look it's it's definitely a a resource, you start winning games, okay, um, and obviously we've won we've won three out of four going into Paris. So you, you know, you start to win, start to win 100 of your games. Uh, but I definitely think you can build it up by having some some tight victories or big victories over over top teams. And the last part is how you build belief is having an unbelievably good training environment and a really good plan. Okay, mm. so um, and they're the ones there. That, that was interesting for me that the feedback was. We didn't believe enough that we could win when at 17 13, given what we saw the first 40 minutes, and we'd actually managed to get over with that try from, from Healy. Um, and, you know, we're spending a lot of time in their half. Okay, we, we give them away a, a, a penalty try, but um, we weren't under too much pressure defensively, really. Uh, and then it just went all pear shaped. I think that's going to be fascinating. And I, I look at, I think, you know, Murray mentioned at the start, we need to get a really strong leadership group um Who start to take some ownership and and look after various areas of the game, and and improve on it because realistically, to win away from home against a team like France or England, it can't be all pain, plain sailing. You're not going to dominate each quarter and be so far ahead that you've got confidence. So I think there's lots of sound bites and, and insights that we're getting that probably point to a uh, 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 probably deep rooted problem that we just need to find a solution to and i said you can build self belief by by having a razor sharp game plan um, players knowing their role um, really good training environment and i think that's the next step f- for us is to is to start tightening up on that
1: but like, do you not think Murray the belief thing is absolute bollocks? Like, as in, how how could you how could your assessment of a team be that they don't believe when they go to the corner uh, at half time looking to strike a psychological blow of their own? They're within four points, having really only again conceded the lead due to a, an individual error that you can easily amend for in the second half. Like, I I think my impression of it, and this is complete um, guesswork, really, would be that Farrell felt as though he could bring more out of them in the second half by almost calling their bluff a little bit and telling them, I don't think you believe <laughs> when in reality, of course they believed. Like they they've won games like this before. They they had every chance of winning that game. And I, I think it's interesting, like I was doing the live stuff on Sunday morning with Andrew Conway, he was up talking to media and he made a point like that um, I just thought the way he worded this was interesting and maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it but he said we did some okay things but our body language probably wasn't great at times the coaches were looking on and know us well enough to feel we were a bit off so that's what the message was, the message was to believe, it kind of I thought that the very subtle implication there would have been that he, he slightly disagreed with that. That, you know, you have to defer to the coach's wisdom, but actually they, they were maybe even caught by surprise a little bit. Like, we don't know. I, I don't know what I'm asking you, really, because we weren't in the dressing room. But I just wonder, was it a, a little bit of a, a gamble by Farrell at halftime that that just didn't land, if you like? And, you know, even when you look at Sexton when he's coming off, maybe he's just looking over going like, listen, you've you've kind of got this whole game wrong, really.
0: I don't, like that, they, they didn't. They didn't get the whole game completely wrong. Like they were, as we've kind of touched on, they were. They were in it. Um, the thing is, like they're not a confident team. We, we. I mean, you say they have they. They won games like this before, but they haven't for the last couple of years, have they? Like every big occasion that. And that includes now Leinster against Saracen's last day where they didn't turn up at the start and the first half was an absolute disaster. Ireland versus England several times versus New Zealand versus Japan. Munster any time they've got to a semi-final haven't been probably up to the standard. I don't know if it's a mental thing, but clearly there's a bit of a hurdle there now. So, I mean, like in very basic terms, they're not a confident team at the moment and, and that that gets knocked when things like going to the corner like like, let's repeat it again it was, it was a it was a bad decision I think everyone felt it at the time it didn't work out instead of going in at half time feeling oh we just scored last you know we're right in this things weren't perfect we can kick on in the second half now instead they go in with France having a massive psychological win over them and, and an exasperation oh we messed that up and then they come out and they start poorly again a couple of mistakes poor kicks bad decisions maybe an attack and then they kick to the French and they score and that's like, really, it's hard to recover from that mentally. They're the championship minutes. You just immediately get a sense, oh, this is not our day. Um, and they did come in and Henshaw scored a wonder try, but they're probably not a confident team, and I think that's understandable, given what's happened. So that is going to be a process um, over a longer period of time. Um, and that's probably in Farrell's mind now as, as he looks at this campaign here in the All Nations Cup, and not just drastically altering things uh, to try and rebuild a bit of that belief and confidence and, and bounce and ability to recover from from setbacks like that's not a good thing in Irish rugby probably at the moment certainly with the Ireland team anyway when they go down obviously we know I'm not sure exactly what the record is but they don't come back from from giving up a lead um and we've seen them compound errors with errors that's a trend now so definitely that's part of it like the review is interesting because Ender McNulty's obviously gone he was the mental skills specialist in the squad probably got thrown under the bus after the World Cup let's be honest uh, even though a lot of the players speak well of of his dealings with them and there's no one that stepped into that role. Um, and I guess now with financial constraints, etc., I don't know if there's going to be any of that going on. Maybe players individually can do stuff themselves. But yeah, it is a big part of the game, isn't it? Like everyone knows the feeling when you're winning and when you're confident, it just flows that bit easier. Everything seems to, to go your way. Uh, and when you're not, you doubt yourself and you second guess your decisions and you don't maybe have the conviction in in the Undoubted abilities you have as an athlete and as a rugby player, so that is part of the challenge. But listen, they're they're not a complete million miles off. Like it's worth saying, like they should beat Wales certainly at home and, and get a bit of a bounce back and then go and have a crack off England. They've obviously come out second best on those on those big days, and um, but one change in that or one good one good you know one good performance in that kind of environment can can flip things very quickly in sport.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I wouldn't disagree that they're not a confident team. Like they, They're patently not, but I suppose, as you say, if one game can change it, then it felt as though first half, at least, that was probably the game. So, And, and I, I refuse to believe that they didn't believe they could win that game coming in at half time, regardless of what had happened just before the whistle. Just based on what I saw, I could be t- completely wrong. It'll all come out in a few autobiographies in a few years anyway, I'm sure. Do you want to talk about Pro-14? or is not it... start
2: winning trophies do we, do we know autobiographies to write.
1: <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to get off your chest, gentlemen, or will we chat Pro-14? I do have a few more questions about Ireland from the 42 members that we might wrap with on the other side of Pro-14 chat. So what do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's loads
1: of good stuff being played in the Pro 14.
0: Let's
2: change the picture for the moment. Did you enjoy
1: Monday night rugby, Bernard? High quality game that Leinster were involved with in and you predicted it correctly, as per usual.
2: No, look, I think you can't call yourself a great tipster. Back in Leinster every week in the, in the Pro 14, but uh, I thought it was a great game. Uh, obviously, Glasgow, Glasgow play high tempo um, and really went after Leinster. It's probably the most, the most intense game um, Physically, speed-wise, top 14 game, a pro 14 game. I've watched um, so far, and I love the idea of Monday rugby. To be honest, um, watched a couple of games uh, Monday nights, and and it, it's great. Now, obviously, when fans can go back to stadiums, it doesn't suit. But um, I just think it's a it's a really good addition. And and uh, again, yeah, Leinster, you know, there's some experienced players there. Just hold that young team together, with just more young talent coming through. And yeah, Munster and Ulster are ticking along um very nicely. You know, you know I had concerns about Ulster uh post lockdown, but um they used that little break uh to to come back and uh their defensive effort against Cardiff I thought was, was outstanding. And uh, you know, that's I think Jared Payne a, is a young defense coach with huge potential. Um, you know, I was lucky enough he presented to our, our coaching group over the summer and he blew people away with just his his personality as much as anything else, and and uh, his passion for it. And and you can see that Ulster team, um, I think defending, uh, with a with a with the bit between their teeth. And um, yeah, they're in they're in a much better place than 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 I thought they were about six seven weeks ago.
1: Murray, your assessment of that Leinster win at Glasgow? Yeah, very impressive.
0: Again, started really well. Um, and the competition for places remarkable. Even a guy like Reese Ruddock, he's probably unlucky not to be back in the Ireland mix. Um if he can get a few European games under his belt with similar form to what he's showing now, he will definitely come back into that frame, I would imagine. Um and younger guys like even Josh Murphy, he's what is he, 25, 26 now, really consistent and will push for those European spots as well. So um yeah, very much a continuation of, of what we've seen before um in terms of their depth and, and their ability. But I thought I absolutely agree with Bernard. I thought it was a really good game of Roby, and actually I, I think the Pro 14 like which obviously gets slated a lot um, and we've discussed its shortcomings and where it can potentially go but so far this season like obviously there are more people probably tuning in on TV there's less to do <laughs> about the place and less to distract you but I think everyone's really enjoying it and I think everyone's been impressed with the quality of Roby and, and probably the ambition of a lot of the rugby as well so that's a real positive for definitely for the competition obviously the South African t- team's still to join as well so like it's very early days in the season, and and maybe those interest levels will wane, but it's it started well, and there's loads of talent on show.
1: Ulster fine win for them, Bernard. Unfortunately, you did predict the Cardiff Blues would get the job done there, so you're right not to be changing your day job at the moment. But um, still, I suppose uh, hedging your bets in the sense that when an Irish team upsets the apple cart a little bit, it's always good news. Uh, what did you make of them? Obviously, low-scoring game, um, but just a, a really good win, really uh, a way to the Blues.
2: Yeah. They did yeah, really good. They, they managed the game really well. Um, Burns, Burns was, was excellent. Um, and they're just starting to develop some, some, some young players. And I, I think that's, that's the great thing for them. Munster as well. You know, the young lads that we were kind of saying they need to be given time have stepped up and, you know, it's, it's great to see them, you know, enjoying and, and, and competing and doing really well at pro 14 level. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's again, the next step will be European cup for them. But, uh, Oh, it looks like there's a lot more depth coming through some of those young under 20s are starting to break through in in Ulster and uh, and Munster and not just Leinster and and, uh, and Connors as well are starting to to blood some new players i think just going, just i think i think it's brilliant for us to be able to you know keep winning um week in week out when when we're international players are away i know that's been a a, a trend for the last couple of years in, in the Pro14 but Um, it's nice to see all the provinces do it and uh, you know it shows that there's decent depth in our game
1: Murray your thoughts on Ulster
0: yeah it was really tough conditions um, to play in really wet and windy and and they defended very consistently and very bravely and um, I think that was the part of the the performance I'd be most pleased with even in the first minute I think they lose a line out, and you see Billy Burns and John Cooney turn on some great pace and work rate just to get back and in a game where things really see uh, could have seesawed, they they won all those moments as well. Um, and, yeah, lovely start to the season for them. Good run. Um, and even seeing someone like Ethan McElroy come off the bench uh, in really tough conditions, he had one really good aerial take, which would have been a try otherwise for Owen Lane. Uh, that was great to see. As well as seeing John Cooney really getting back up to, to form. Um, he's making line breaks. He's... He's bossing the team around well and, and seems to have rebounded from his, obviously, disappointment twice now uh, to be uh, like consistent again for Ulster. That's exactly what you want to see and what Dan McFarland would have hoped for. So definitely a good start for for them as well.
1: Absolutely. Job well done. And to keep the Blues to only one score at home as well, even in tough conditions, is some going. Might be a kind of a signature win. We'll see how Ulster get on over the next few weeks Munster were also in Wales playing the Dragons. I'll come to you first on this one, Murray. Probably, um, <laughs> like, just relative to some of their performances over the course of the Pro 14 season so far, uh, or as a result, sorry, of some of those performances, they'll be a little bit disappointed not to have gotten the bonus point. But I think it's, you know, Monster are probably in a, a better place than they were. When that's the only fault you can find really with with this result, because um again they were tough conditions and they never felt like losing that game despite the fact that Dragons went at it for the full 80.
0: Yeah, like the weird thing is Munster haven't played particularly amazingly so far this season. They have four wins from four, but there's absolutely loads in all of the games. Like against Scarlets they were obviously really poor for a long time and, and dramatic win. Cardiff losers there's loads of bits you could pick out. Um, and again in this game there were bits where they'll feel frustrated and potentially didn't push on and get that bonus point but on the flip side you get winning momentum and you, as Bernard says you get those young guys in the team and this is what we said like it gives everything a really good energy and, and bounce when homegrown players are pushing through and taking their chances like individually a lot of them have been really impressive Casey getting man in the match here but John Hodnett even coming in late for Chris Clute and um, and showing his ability it's, it's really good to see their Pushing those passes the odd time a little bit more. Obviously, like in, in tough conditions, you've got to have a balance to your game there. But it is positive to see players backing themselves and, and making good decisions on the ball. Some lovely tries. Matt Gallagher made an impact as well and looks like he's settling in. Um, and then just to have someone like Dielende playing away in Newport on a wet Sunday afternoon is, is a massive boost for them with no rugby championship for the box. To have him around is really good for the young guys and, and players as well. Uh, in the background you can learn off him so while they certainly have big strides proven to make in terms of their performance levels there's loads to be positive um, and build on there for them
1: players on the back line could learn a thing or two from kevin o'Brne burn it uh what what've what's enjoyed
2: him uh i've enjoyed watching him over the last couple of weeks look at it's a pre planned move um but he's got uh, well i don't know if he, maybe you are supposed to give it back uh if he's supposed to pass it that way but I think he was. It looks like he was, and it just shows um, real confidence and a nice bit of skill to um, to throw it out the back door and and, and open up a little a little bit of space to get gain line. And that's that's what you want to see. You want to see some thought around, around um, your set piece launch and looking to get over the gain line, make line breaks. And yeah, he's he's been good. He, he's uh, yeah, I, I like Marshall as well, but Kevin's definitely um, shown that he's uh, he's stepping up and. Um, yeah, great moment. Great piece of skill.
1: Mm, certainly was. He's been very, very good for, for a decent chunk of time now, but last tip, a couple of weeks he's been playing Harlem Globetrotter and stuff. Uh, Munster and the kind of swap fixtures this weekend in that Munster away to Benetton has been uh, called off, as people will be aware by now, due to. Three Benetton players testing positive for COVID nineteen, and a further four of them having to go into self isolation as close contacts. So Munster not in action this weekend. Connacht going to the Dragons, where Munster won last weekend. Burn is starting with yourself. How do you see your old club getting on there, or well, your old club against your old club?
2: Yeah, I think look, I think Dragons, um, Dragons definitely. <laughs> Stuck in the game, they were much better than they were against against Ulster they were, or Munster. They were much better than they were against Ulster the week before. Ollie Griffiths is absolutely huge for them. He's like a, a one-man defensive unit, and uh, um, he's he's going to get better. This will be his third game if he, if he plays this week. Uh, but having said that, I mean, I just thought Connacht their performance against Edinburgh was was outstanding. Now, having said that, it was on the back of a poor performance away to the Blues, and and there's definitely a a real edge to them, and a, and. I suppose uh, an emotional um element to it. And they went out and played, you know, with a lot of uh, a lot of intensity and a lot of skill. Um and if they double down on that, I think they might do much for, for the Dragons. The Dragons defensively are are still quite poor. Um the, you know, monsters Munster uh when they when they attacked uh, at speed they opened up a lot of holes. So and Connor probably are are probably one of the teams who have the, the, the most Intricate Attacking game And Of the four problems They might lack the power But Yeah i I fancy Connor to go and, and win away again
1: Murray your thoughts on that Yeah good time With,
0: with Jack Hardy Obviously isn't it he Disappointed with, with Ireland But comes back in At a time Connor Fitzgerald Has picked up that injury But Fair play to Tom Daly The last day Stepping into out half I thought he was a Really good game And kicked really well um, and it's it's good because as I said more people are probably tuning in now to Pro and, and they're seeing these guys that they don't really get to regularly watch Kevin O'Byrne's a great example like his form's been excellent for two years possibly longer and um, I think he's probably the most form, in-form hooker in Munster but a lot of people probably wouldn't generally get a chance to watch those games where he's impressing um, and now everyone's getting to see the, the likes of him the likes of say Al O'Connor in, in Ulster the guys who are stalwarts week in week out for the province aren't head headline names but uh, are constantly delivering, so it's good to be able to watch more of them and, and for people to to I suppose appreciate their talents. Um, but yeah, I expect Connacht to to keep their momentum, albeit it was a little bit stunted, as you say. Um, I expect them to keep that going.
1: We'll keep the next two predictions brief, lads, because I do have a couple of questions for members to get to, and we'll wrap then. So Leinster, <coughs> excuse me, Leinster at Ospreys. Uh, Leinster predictions tend to be brief anyway. Bernard, is it Leinster again for you? Yeah. <laughs> Ulster okay, at
2: home. Don't ask me, don't ask me about Leinster every week. I'll tell you I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you. <laughs>
1: perfect. Perfect. That's that saves us about 12 seconds. Uh <laughs> Ulster at home to the Glasgow Warriors. Murray, your thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah, I think Ulster will win.
1: Burch yeah, Ulster we'll Omen. Okay, let's get to some of these questions from the Forty Two members. These are all from the WhatsApp group, and you can join the fine folks in there at members.the dot dot e. You also get access to a brand new GAA podcast, The Forty Two GA Weekly, with Shane Dowling and Mark O'Shea. Uh, it's a cracking listen, and uh, I'm delighted we have the boys on board there. Here's one from Mick. To be totally honest, I should have interspersed some of these questions into our chat earlier on, but I'm just going to read them off now. Question for the pod. By the end of the Eight Nations tournaments, what new caps would Murray and Bernard like to see for Ireland? So if I could just extend that question a little bit, Murray, starting with yourself. Um, Not only the uncapped players in the squad at the moment, but potential guys that could come in around Georgia time.
0: Uh, Ryan Baird, if he's fit again. Um, And you know what? Harry Byrne off the bench. Give him a cap and get him in there. Um, Yeah, maybe Craig Casey as well. They'd be the
1: three, probably. Bernard, new caps?
2: Yeah I'd agree with that I'd I'd agree with those Those three are probably The ones that are are Putting their hand up the most
1: Lovely Aina Hagerty. I, I, this is a nice little uh, suggestion by Anna, I'm not sure how practical it is I'll ask you guys, with development players being included in Irish squads should each of the province's head coaches have one player that they want to be included as a development player, this player could be put forward as a development opportunity or because the coach believes they're wrongly being overlooked, for example Andy Friend could put Paul Boyle forward, uh, Ulster could put Eric O'Sullivan, etc Friend, what, what are your now? thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, oh, look, it's a nice idea, but I think it devalues um, Andy Farrell's power or legitimacy of being being brought in. Um, I, look, there's only four head coaches in in the provinces. They all have a, a direct line to to Andy Farrell, so um, I'm sure that every time he picks a squad, there's there's lots of discussion um, back and forth, and and it's an opportunity to canvas for for those players. So uh no I, I, I wouldn't I look at I think it's a nice idea and, and I can see the value in it, but I think the counter argument around, you know, it has to be fire squad um is enough to to rule it out.
1: Uh let's go to one last one from Finn O'Boyle. And Finn was wondering th- this is kind of unrelated to Irish rugby, I think, but um a nice general question and one that one that you can certainly answer, Bernard, having played and coached. But what's the hardest position to survive a sin binning against you? Is it 9-15 or does it not matter? And what coaching strategies do you use to reorganise or cope with it beyond slowing it down and burning the clock, etc.?
2: A wing can cover the, the, uh, the, the full-back area or, or a lot of 10s drop into that naturally after set-piece. So, um, you know, obviously it's easy enough to replace a hook a front row because as soon as there's a scrum... You get a chance to to do that, but for me, nine is the is the hard one. And um, look, at every coach will have a um, a plan of action uh, for each each match based around yellow cards, so that um, you know you're not trying to think on the on on the on the hoof, and and you'll have talked to to players around what they need to who's who's going to cover what. So yeah, in my opinion, experience nine was the was the most difficult.
1: Unless you have Gary Ringrose in your team, yeah.
0: Sure.
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: did you ever get Did you ever get bin Murray in your playing career?
0: Yes, I did. For not rolling away, it was very technical. Wrong decision as well.
1: Thanks a million to the forty-two members for the questions, lads. I'm I'm sorry I didn't get to more of them. Just we're running a, a little bit late, and we need to let the lads. Uh roll on with their days there was Stephen cook at a really good one colin grimes and, and loads more and feck it i was encouraging them in the whatsapp group all week as well so apologies i didn't get around to more as always just keep sending them during the week and uh, we'll get to you eventually no doubt about it uh, i asked people two weeks ago at the end of the podcast quite sheepishly to leave ratings and reviews and whatever on your podcast app if you do enjoy the 42 rugby weekly and loads of you did it was a massive help to us I, I couldn't get over the, the numbers of you that, that took times out of, time out of your day to, to do that and listen if you didn't get a chance then and you got a chance this week we'd really appreciate it it, it helps us out a lot in terms of just gaining the, the podcast more exposure on various apps which uh, will hopefully allow us to grow it and do bigger and better things with it down the line so if you get a chance at all uh, we'd really appreciate it that is it from us Murray thanks a so million as always Cheers Gav and Bernard, thank you as always catch you next week catch
2: you next week buddy
1: and uh, in the meantime to everybody at home thanks a million for tuning in uh, thanks for always tuning in uh, enjoy the rugby over the weekend and we will be back on Monday slash Thursday until then mind yourselves take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field if you're working as an accountant and you lose your job nobody really notices
2: Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs>
1: Robbie, Robbie, weekly.
2: Then in the first